Hello, my friends. Thank you so much for tuning in to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. This show is for veterans, first responders, and their families, and honestly, for anybody who wants to recover from trauma. We are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible. Our vision is of a world where the path to recovery is clear. Please help with this mission by following and rating this show on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. This simple action will help others find help for PTS injuries. Your help in promoting this podcast could be saving a life. Welcome to another edition of Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. Way back at the beginning of my journey, uh, when I had only about eight episodes on this show, I went to, to Merritt, BC for a mental health first aid course, and the instructor was Sherry Lachine. And finally, I've got her joining me on the show. Sherry, thank you so much for being here. Oh, Mark, thank you for reaching out. It's so good to see you again and see how successful your podcast has been and is. Just thank you. A big thank you. Well, what a long road for whatever reason that weekend or three days or four days or whatever it was for the mental health first aid. I was a mess. It was like the worst symptoms I've ever had for PTSD. You had to calm me down Mm -hmm. at least three times that I recall. And, um, if you had to guess, what is it about getting together with other soldiers or being in that environment where you're covering mental health first aid that is that can be so activating? Because I'm sure I'm not the only one that uh, has had a rough go in all the courses that you've um, put on. Yeah, I you know what I, I found you to be very um, you, you're. It was a delight to meet you, and it was, um, I think, some really important moments. Like, it helped us connect in a deep way. You shared a lot with me, and I really, really appreciated that. Um, To your point, it happens a lot. You know, these are are conversations and moments that many of us haven't really taken the opportunity to do. And the interesting thing about mental health first aid is, you know, the, the title, the, the idea around it, people kind of go, oh, well, that, you know, yeah, I'm going to go and help others. I'm, that's a good idea. I'm going to do that. And then you start thinking and, and um, you know, sitting with some feelings and experiences and looking at other people going through the same type of thing. And you go, oh, my gosh, <laughs> no, this is for me. <laughs> this, this work, this conversation, this time with other people, this is actually for me. And That, to me, I think is part of the secret sauce of mental health first aid. So you experienced it. You went like right through. Well, I wonder how much of it is the environment, because there was a couple of uh, folks there that I had actually served with and Mm. uh, one that I was in a war with. And Mm. uh, I I thought, geez, I wonder if because he was a senior rank at that time, I wonder if that somehow is um, making a connection for me of the abuse of authority that I experienced during my tour. And maybe he is the representative of that. uh, And and that's picking up the scab that and I was at the very beginning of my of my healing journey and uh, uh, therapy can beat the snot right out of you. So I think I was I was pretty raw. Uh, in those days three years ago. Well, thanks for sharing that. And, um, you know, we, we chatted briefly at the beginning of this setup for the podcast, mostly about my 
damn microphone issues. Um, but I didn't get a chance to, <laughs> to check in with you and, and ask you where you are now on your journey. Uh, ups and downs, but uh, yeah. uh, you, you heard the episode with Dr. Bonnie Kaplan, so I've got uh, I put in my order for the, for that stuff, and it's in the mail, or it's here. So uh, seeing if that gives me a bit of a lift, and that's good. And but it's an ongoing thing, um, and that's one thing I've said to the audience a lot is that it is an ongoing thing, but it does get better. Um, yeah. And actually, this is a really good example of that because you met me at a point where, especially under those circumstances where I was a hot mess, but it got better. So healing does happen. And that is a message that a lot of people don't believe, but it's true. Healing does happen. But the point of this show um, and and having you on is more about the mental health first aid. So wanted to, I know, sorry. wanted <laughs> to jump, jump in on, on that a little bit. Um, you've been running this for how long? Cause you started it before, before I met you. Yeah. So, um, I mean, and my, my, my journey has been, um, like everybody's journey is interesting or weird or their own. Um, so I, I did start off in the military very young and as an engineer and then, um, I, I know you're not asking the question to go that far back, but I'm no, gonna, I, I want to know. <laughs> um, and uh, I realized that engineering just wasn't it wasn't my thing. And so about 12 years ago, I went back to school and studied psychology and just because I felt I needed skills. You know, I needed some some knowledge about how how to navigate stressors and challenges and and so, so I did, and then started volunteering and supporting veterans, you know, first responders, their families, the community here in Kingston. Um, you know, as best I could, I was trying to get as much experience as possible, and and that my journey was very bumpy. And then I found that in 2016, the Mental Health Commission of Canada and Veterans Affairs Canada came together to create this this course, this variety of mental health first aid for the veterans community. And, oh man, did I jump right on that? Um, I took the course as a participant in 2013 and I was just like, yes, yes. Like we need these skills. We need this knowledge and we need this time together to think about, you know, what, what can we do better? What exploration can we do? And so since 2016, I've been uh, in the unique position to be able to facilitate that course. Uh, I also do the civilian version of it, which I help workplaces sort of understand the same, you know, the same set of skills and knowledge. Um, you know, at one point before the pandemic, I was I was traveling to every province. I went to every province. I got to go to Nunavut um, and meet so many people and see so many aha moments. And that also was so cool for me and as part of my healing journey to, to understand it was, and it still is. I do it all virtual now since the pandemic, I'm a virtual facilitator and um, it's amazing how you can still create or, you know, foster these moments of aha and connection, even virtually. So I was just, I'm just like, I'm, I, you, 
<laughs> so, so excited to be in the spot that I'm in. Um, and, uh, yeah, I get to meet people like yourself. Uh, I've created some beautiful connections. Um, and it's the right next step for sure. There, I, you know what, Mark, if you, if you don't stop me, I'll just keep going. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for you to catch yourself. Um, no, it's all good. So with this show, I often get a lot of private notes of people that say thank you and share the impact that the show has had on them. And I'm imagining that you must have the same thing happening for yourself. What would you say the impact has been on facilitating these mental health first aid courses? Um, you know, I, I do get some people that reach out and actually I was just reading one this morning that brought me to tears. Uh, I had the, um, opportunity about three weeks ago to go, to go to Shiloh, Manitoba, which many people won't say Shiloh, yay, (laughs) but it was pretty cool. It's a, it's a long travel, but it's, uh, it's certainly filled with some really interesting people and places in any case, this one person reached out and to let me know that they were using mental health first aid, not just with, you know, their family members or the veterans community, but with the students that they get, they're, they're a teacher and the students they get to support. And she said, you know, that because of the course and the conversations we had and the skills we talked about, she was able to engage with a child that really needed help and support in those moments. He was thinking of suicide. And she felt comfortable and confident to have that conversation and then to safely and in a nurturing way bring in other professionals and support. And I was just like, like seriously, you know, to, to, save, to save one life is so cool. <laughs> so there. And I was, like, I, was, I was a little emotional this morning. I still am, clearly. It's... Uh, yeah, so those stories, wow. For some reason, Paul was very uh, adamant that uh, he, you can't say that you've saved a life. Why Why do you think he was so adamant about saying that again and again? <laughs> well, yeah, that's interesting, Mark, because I, I, I don't necessarily remember him saying that. I could see that as being something that, you know, that, that, um, that could come out. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think, you know, I think he's on his own journey and his perspective and trying to see what his role is in all of this. And, um, and maybe he also sees that like, we can't change anyone, right? That's one of the things that I think we need to know about mental health first aid. It doesn't mean that oh, I will be able to fix and change everyone. No, that's not the, that's not the case. People have to connect with, their own change and their own healing and their own, you know, journey and steps. And so maybe he's speaking to that. I, I don't know. Yeah. I I, I didn't, I didn't quite get it, but to me, mental health first aid is simply about, I think it can all be summed up being a soft place to land when somebody's falling and that's it. Yeah. Oh, I like that. I, a soft place to land when somebody's falling. You're not fixing them. Um, you're walking with them. This, that's usually a, a, a way that clinicians or therapists think about their job is that they walk with people as they encounter and discover and find next steps. And um, yeah, 
soft place to land as people are falling, walking with people, but not, not fixing them. Well, yeah, fixing them is a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I know, you know, and I've just come up with this, like I've got some ideas sort of bouncing around in my head that, you know, I'm sort of throwing out some trial balloons on, but I, I don't like the notion that we're broken. Like I have this really, I, I, it doesn't feel right to me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I like, well, yeah, wounded. Uh, we are who we are in this moment. I just read Oprah Winfrey's book, uh, uh, What Happened to You? And it really just helped me sort of get a another sense of we are who we are as a result of everything that we've encountered, you know, comfortable, uncomfortable, um, traumatic, uh, loving, nurturing, all of it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's our journey. I, I don't know. I'm, I, and you, you're using the word wounded. And I agree with you there. I just don't like the word broken. I have the yeah, time I agree. Yeah. I agree. I struggle with that too. Cause you're, somebody called me broken once years ago. It's like, you just look so broken. And uh, I was like, no, I've just got a chip. <laughs> ah, I like that. Well, and so interesting how that stays with you, right? Yeah. The, oh, I never forgot it. No. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that's hard. That's hard stuff. And, and I don't think people do that um, to be, to be cruel. I think we, you know, they do it because sometimes they just, maybe they just don't know. I, I don't know. I'm just, a, I'm scratching my head on that. Um, well, people say silly things when they don't know what to say. And yeah. so I, I like to share with the audience that if you don't know what to say, shut up and listen, just ask, um, like, how are you? And reach in. And if you don't know what to say, don't say anything. Just be there. Just be a soft place to land. That's all you have to do. And people always feel like they got to say something. And that's exactly the wrong thing to do. Cause you're going to say something stupid out of desperation, not knowing what else to do. So let's talk about some of the, the do's and, and don'ts of mental health first aid. Somebody's falling. How do you, what are the do's and don'ts of being that soft place to land? Well, so I've come to uncover that um, the big do is if you're showing up for someone, start with you, right? Start taking care, make sure that you are Okay. Right. Um, I have a friend who says that hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. And, and I agree. And I think it's, it's not intentional, but it hurts. And so if you're coming into a conversation or to provide us a, um, a soft place for falling or walking with someone, I, I think you've got to start with you regulate yourself, emotionally check in with yourself, figure out what you're energetically putting out there. And that takes work. And so that to me is a do, an absolute do. And then um, my next step is, and I'm, I'm, I'm being measured a little bit because I'm also exploring some of these things. I've seen, I've seen some interesting things go on. I've seen some interesting behaviors in myself, and I'm just trying to see, does, is this the right next step? I, I feel like the, ne- the right next step is to validate to validate somebody's uh, feelings, their thoughts, their situation, right? Um, and that could my my favorite validating technique. And and some of my my friends and clients are like, yes, yes, yes. I use that all the time. <laughs> it's it's the the that sounds hard. 
you know, when people are having a really hard time just to, instead of going into problem solving mode or shooting or budding or say that sounds really hard or given this situation, you know, it's understandable that you feel like that. And so, and then to your point, maybe then shut up. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, I, those are, those are big do's. And then the other piece I've started to realize is keep checking in with yourself because some of these conversations are happening with people that are very close to you, you know, and, and there's moments there where you might get that emotional kick up, right? The emotional reaction, or maybe you're empathetically connecting with them on such a level that you're feeling what they're feeling. So keep checking in on yourself and, and, and showing up and listening and validating, you know, doing a nice little circle of that. I think I've just really come to realize that the, the, the self-care piece is super important. And actually, Mark, when I met you in Merit, the, the structure of mental health first aid, there was an acronym that you used. I don't know if you remember the acronym. I don't know. This is not a test. This is not a test. <laughs> I do not. Okay, so it, the acronym is actually, it's, it's called ALGE, and okay. it's like assessing, um, paying attention, listening without that judgment, which is hard to do sometimes, giving that reassurance, which I like to say validation, and then encourage professional support, encourage other support. So that was, that was the Merit BC structure. Today, in the virtual one, the, the commission, and I'm not suggesting that a, I said this, but I did in my feedback forms keep saying, what about self-care? So we've added self-care to say, don't forget about you as you take care of other people. This is, this is important, but hard work. It is because in this community, a, a lot of people who are the helpers are people that they themselves have suffered injury. So because they don't want anybody else to go through what they've gone through, they become the helpers. The problem is, is that they don't want, they don't know when to take off the cape, fold it up and put it in a drawer. Mm. That's the challenge. The, um, the helpers, if they don't look after themselves first, it's the old adage of the oxygen mask popping out from the ceiling of the, of the, uh, of the airplane. If you don't put it on yourself first, uh, then everybody suffers. You can't take care of uh, other people if you haven't taken care of yourself first. And for giving kind people, they're like, oh, I got to look after others. You can't if you're dead. So stop it. Yeah. Oh, I, I completely agree with you there. And I, I, I do see a lot of people just throwing oxygen masks on everybody and, and it, seeing that they're the ones that are getting the impact or they're in the most peril. And so, you know, to be strong could be, could mean that you don't help everybody, but you put up a boundary. That's, that could be strong, right? I put up a, Oh no, actually today I need to take care of me before showing up for other people. Um, I, yeah, I, I, it's a fast, it's a fascinating concept, especially a child of the seventies, which I am. Your child is, no, you're not, eh? You're younger, much younger than I. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm 52. Oh, okay, same. Awesome. Okay, the 70s and the 80s are very interesting times, right? Where I think the idea of rest and taking care of yourself, it was, um, it was, 
it wasn't looked on kindly. It was a weakness, right? It was frailty. I mean, I even remember being in our living room at home in the late 70s and watching TV. Remember TV where you had to wait till 7 o'clock, you know? <laughs> you had a TV, a TV guide that came once a week oh. and everybody's like, oh, where's the TV guide? <laughs> oh, can you imagine? It was always in the washroom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what I remember distinctly, if, you know, if a parent came into the room, we stood up. Right, we stood up because rest or sitting down, like just wasn't. And and it's interesting because that comes up a lot in the courses. People, the way that we were brought up, the way that we were patterned or trained, is still with us today. And we could choose to keep reinforcing that pattern, or we can we can shift it. And that's some of the work that we get to do as well. But yeah, that's that's our work. I, I really think mental health first aiders. I think the next step is just making sure we're really doing our own work to support people in a real way. And for self-care, self-care is also the cornerstone of resilience and resilience training. So for yourself, what being in this environment all the time and constantly being with uh, people that are activated like I was in merit, um, how do you, what are the, the steps that you take personally yourself to keep to keep yourself level and to build resilience in yourself or are some of the habits that you've incorporated into your life uh, that is a really good question <laughs> so I do the pandemic has taught me that walking is my friend you know so moving my body is absolutely my friend I listen to so many self-help books um, basically the anything that my therapist rep- recommends, I'm listening to and trying to incorporate that into my perspective and my thoughts. uh, I find that to be really, really helpful. I love, I love talking to, yes, not only my therapist, but my, my friends. I enjoy sort of, you know, connecting and having those chats. Um, So that, that really helps. I love rest. I love sleeping. Like as I tell people in the course, I say, I love, I love, eating, sleeping, and crying. Like, they're my favorite. And so <laughs> it, you know, anything that can incorporate those. Um, and you know what's interesting, too? Uh, Wounded Warriors Canada, uh, they have a battlefield bike ride that I found back in 2016. And um, now, during the pandemic, they didn't do the the battlefield bike ride. But what it did do for me when I went to Italy that first time, and I, I'd never um, did any road biking. I came back with a, a love of it and a passion for not only the wind therapy, but also the group connection piece. I really, really enjoyed that. Um, so that's still incorporated in my life. Uh, yeah. And I, I you know, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm sort of thankful to, for, to wounded warriors for that, because I don't think I would have done that if not for the battlefield bike ride. Well, if it's not motorized, um, I don't know how. <laughs> almost took my motorcycle to uh, Merritt, BC. I decided oh. and decided not to last second. A good thing because there was nothing but a big old snow sto- snowstorm on the way back. So that was a gamble that uh, <laughs> worked out well for me. Glad I had oh, good. the car. Good, yeah, that was a um, a lovely spot that we were in too. And I was thinking of Merritt when they had the floods recently. 
um, I think they were significantly impacted. Yeah. And anyways, I'm bringing that up too, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world right now, right? There, there's a lot of challenges. There's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of stressors. There's a lot of uncertainty. And so, you know, the, the idea of showing up for people, you know, being a mental health first aider or the, like I keep mentioning to people, we are the boots on the ground, right? Kind of getting a sense of what's going on. We've got to recognize that there's a, there is a lot of additional stressors and challenges out there. So like mental health first aid is for everybody. It's for the hundred percent. It's not for the statistics, the one in five, the one in three, the 50%. It's the hundred percent. Yeah. Well, it's five and five. I mean, we all have our days, Yeah. you know, um, if things are working out properly, uh, your, your, you should, your parents should predecease you. So when you lose your parents, when, um, you lose friends, when you lose, I mean, grief and loss, we all go through these things. And, uh, if you are a pet owner and, and things are going the way that they should, you should survive your pet. And these are all things that are, that are tough. So when somebody close to you is going through it or you're going through it yourself, what's the right, what's the healthy way to go through it? Well, that's mental health first aid helps with that because it's five and five. We all go through things. We all have our days. We all have our moments. And, uh, we all have that one year, that one year where like, are you freaking kidding me? What, what, what are you going to send at me next? And, uh, when these things are happening, how do we support ourselves and how do we support each other? So everybody could use mental health first aid. Now this course, did you uh, design the course as well? Or was it designed by the mental health commission of Canada? It was designed by the Mental Health Commission of Canada and then Veterans Affairs came in to, to make it more specific to the veterans community by adding statistics and scenarios that were very applicable, you know, to, and, and I say the veterans community and, and essentially the definition of that is those who care for and about veterans. That's so a very broad definition. Um, but certainly, yes, I will not take credit for the, the course and the course content. Uh, that is all the Mental Health Commission of Canada. What I will take credit for, though, is making sure that it becomes a connecting and validating experience and making sure that there's a little bit of, of humor and levity, too. I think one of the biggest feedback pieces that I get is, I thought this was going to be, like, really heavy and hard. But I, I felt... I felt light. I felt connected. You know, it was, it was enjoyable. And, and that's, that's the piece. I'm like, that's the magic you bring you. I just create the conditions. Oh, and you all bring the magic. It's, it's quite, it's, <laughs> it's remarkable actually time and time again. And how, um, like there's you doing it. Are, are you a one person show or is there a bunch of other people doing, are there other versions of mental health first aid that are, that are out there? Like how big is the, um, uh, how often is this getting taught? So um, that's another good question. I don't know the answer, but I, I, what I do know is that there are thousands of instructors teaching um I'm going to say there's eight different varieties of the course. I just opened up the website here. Uh, there is, um, of course, the Veterans Affairs one, 
Um, there is the standard or the basic version that's for anyone 18 years and older. There's one that's specifically for supporting youth. There's one to support older adults, um, First Nations, Inuit, and Northern people. A new one for police. Uh, a new one for seniors as well. So these, and, and in essence, the course itself is very similar for each one of the varieties. The idea be, behind having it tailored you know, for a specific community so that people can walk through the door knowing that the rest of the people, are, the lens is very similar and the scenarios will be very similar and the sharing will be very similar. And it helps with people connecting and validating. Um, so there's a variety, yeah, bunch of different, um, different courses out there. And it's, it's run thousands of times. I'm impressed that it has a, uh, a leaning to, towards what all, all the different units. I'm not saying this right. I'm totally stumbling on my words. Culturally competent. That's what I'm groping for. Nice. So awkwardly. So the, the cultural competence piece of tailoring it uh, to indigenous, tailoring it to veterans, tailoring it, tailoring it to uh, police. By tailoring it, it makes it more accessible and helps with the connection because PTSD is a injury of disconnection. It creates disconnection with yourself, disconnection with, with, with others, with society, and disconnection with the person that you used to be that you miss so much. So mm. to be that soft place to, to land, a cornerstone of that is to be familiar. A lot of people, whether it's rightly or wrongly, when they go into therapy, uh, one fella comes to mind, well, I was airborne, and if you weren't airborne, you couldn't possibly understand. So I don't want to talk to anybody unless you're airborne. Right. Well, that's not exactly right, but I understand where that person's coming from. And either way, whether he's right or wrong, that's the feeling and that's the, that's the sense that they have. So they feel what they feel, man. You just got to deal with it. So to have uh, something that is tailored specific that has that cultural competence so that people feel like, okay, you're going to get me because you're like me Mm. Uh, as opposed to a sterile therapist uh, who's never been out of university. (laughs) You know, that's uh, that's pretty tough to, to take anything from a person like that when, when you're somebody with some um, pretty significant life experiences. So that cultural competence piece, I think is so, so key. And I'm, I'm glad that there are so many versions of the mental health first aid course. How important do you think the cultural competence is? I, I think it, I think it's, it's very meaningful and you made me think about, um, you know, my experience when I get to, you know, walk into a room and start, you know, start facilitating a course and, you know, I'm a 52 year old woman, you know, <laughs> veterans course. And I step in and I'll start telling my story. And so I joined the forces when I was 17 and the shift, everybody's like, Oh, you're, you're one of us. You're one of us. And it's, it's immediately a different vibe. Right. And so I think that, that, that vibing piece is really important. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that uh, the people who you know, are selected to facilitate this course, because there is a selection process, that you've got, it's got to be rooted in the experience of that, you know, that competency, cultural or demographic, right? 
and I think that's really, really important, um, especially, you know, for police and veterans, uh, First Nations, Inuit, you know, to really have that experience. We humans, we want to belong. We want to connect. And, you know, when we've got these, this lens that helps people belong and connect faster because it's, it, it speaks to them, I think it's brilliant. <laughs> I think it's absolutely brilliant. The conversation has been opening up more and more about mental health and in particular about mental um, military sexual trauma. Thank goodness there's finally a light, especially recently, that's been shone on that and just how prevalent it, prevalent it is. Is uh, sexual trauma something that is incorporated with the, with any of the mental health first aid courses or or does it does it matter is because trauma is trauma is trauma. Uh, yeah, it doesn't specifically have scenarios that deal with that. This is, I mean, the, this conversation, you know, as of as of our podcast recording, is right. It's right there. I mean, I was just watching the CBC this morning, and it's about the findings, and it's really an important uh, issue right now. But it, yeah, I think you're, I think you're right about, um, you know, trauma is trauma is trauma, and um, you know, sexual trauma is one type of trauma. Um, there are many others. I think when it comes to healing, that those with military sexual trauma, they can heal better together potentially. They can understand each other more quickly. I've had over the years um, many people share with me their experiences, not in detail, but their experiences of military sexual trauma. So I knew it was was out there. I've had my own you know, um, experiences, but not, not with military sexual trauma specifically, but, you know, when they share, I kind of can go back and go, yeah, I see that. I can see that happening, you know, so that it's just so easy to, um, to really empathize and to understand because, yeah, I could see, I could, I can really see their stories coming to life. I, I, yeah, anyways, and I'll just say, I'm just going, whew, it's a, it's a big, big issue my friends and I we we've been chatting about this about what do we you know what do we do collectively to move through that um, and I think supporting each other really important so you asked a question and then I didn't answer it and <laughs> so no the, the short answer is it's not included specifically in the course I, it seems to me that maybe it should be maybe that is mm. a, a module that should be in there because Going back to saying stupid stuff to each other that is well-meaning but can do more harm than good. Um, in military sexual trauma, the victim tends to be blamed a lot mm. or, or trivialized. Like, well, what were you wearing? Well, what did you say to him? No, right. Like, did you lead them on? Was it consensual in some way is, is, the, uh, is the message that, that comes to them? And that's not okay <laughs> because that mm. creates sanctuary trauma. But sanctuary trauma is something that can happen and is one of the danger spots of mental health first aid. Cause if somebody is coming to you for help and they get the opposite. So um, I'd like to, for, for you to expand a little bit on what sanctuary trauma is and how you can accidentally create it by being a mental health first aider. Mm. Oh, that's a, that's a big one. I'm sort of living through some of that right now in my oh, own man. personal life. And, 
it, it is it is hard. It's so sanctuary trauma, from what I understand, and it's been a it's been a big topic of conversation in the, the veterans community and in the military. And, you know, it's when your organization doesn't have your back. You know, and the, the example that comes to my mind often um, is you know the the Vietnam War. You know. People were conscripted, drafted, thrown over to do some things that were terrible. Um, they didn't ask, really, to do those things, to go through that stuff. And then they came back, and they were called murderers, baby killers. They were shunned by society at large, generally speaking. And so that whole, what the heck? Like, where's my, where do I belong? Like, who, who has my back? Who believes me? And so I like how you asked that, Mark, where, you know, how, how can we inadvertently maybe create that as mental health first aiders? And I think it's, it's maybe starts with, you know, when people do the, oh, you had one tour, I've had three. So there's that, that game that gets played. Um, there's the, uh, you know, it's really not that bad. I had it worse. So that's also a, a bit of that game. Um, it's that I don't believe you. Oh, that's the worst one. You know, and, and it, it it is, and, um, I'm seeing it happen a lot in terms of very close relationships where people are now getting very, especially after this pandemic, right? Where, um, people's experiences have been very different and they have, um, a whole lifetime of compounding challenges that are now really at the forefront and so people you know they're and they're describing and you're like oh that's not the oh that's not what and so it's it's there's a lot of friction in relationships right now as a result of these conversations and so um i i think there's a there's these moments where you just have to do the validate right take care of yourself validate you know that's really hard and then if you're not the right person Remove yourself. <laughs> Just remove yourself. Don't stay in that conversation. If you're having a hard time, you know, uh, understanding the behavior, just remove yourself. And I think that's something that we can do as well. You know, put up a boundary, support yourself so you can actually then be healthy enough to re-engage. What about modality of mental health first aid? What we see on social media all the time is, hey, if you're if you're having a speed wobble, just just give me a call. But it doesn't really work like that because um, people don't call very often because people don't ask for help very often. So, just one example: somebody that I know was struggling. I showed up at their door and I helped them physically with a task that they were just mentally blocked on doing they because they just they they were just overwhelmed we had it done in like an hour and um but i was physically there and got got them snapped out of it and another is actually i'm gonna leave it i'm gonna leave it right there because uh, the other example isn't uh, very applicable but what do you have to say about um uh, about that i think i've lost my own train of thought (laughs) (laughs) i think we're all we're both in our own little (laughs) time to call the therapist for me (laughs) you know um 
these are these are really tricky times. Like these are really tricky times. And so um I think you know, and I can't emphasize enough the whole starting with yourself and taking care of you. And, um, you, you know, when do we engage? You, you sort of, you're sharing that you show up at somebody's place and you help them in those moments. And, and I think that's really important. I've been recently in my head thinking, um, that I, for many people, I become a bit of a bridge. And what I mean by that is, you know, over the past even five weeks, I tell I'm not, I am, uh, I'm a mental health professional. I facilitate sessions. I am not a clinician. I am not, you know, providing um, a therapeutic piece, but I am a bridge. And so what I can do is I do a check-in. So some people, uh, it's a week. I do a check-in and I've had some, uh, some individuals where it's like 830 in the morning. That's when we check in and it's just, how are you doing? So the, the modality of that check-in, I, I just got back to, <laughs> when I fell off the log, I got back on it. Um, so some people, they'll just send a, like an emoji on Facebook or, or a text or something like that. And they think that they just did mental health first aid. It, it, it does it not have to be either in person or on a phone or, or a video call. Like what's the best modality for actually having that connection? Oh, that's okay. Yeah. I like where you're going with it. Um, I think we're going to do uh, whatever modality makes sense for you and that connection, because I think the important thing is, you know, one of the important things is we're not going to be, um, the best mental health first aider for everybody, right? Some people, they don't pick up the phone. I'm, I'm a phone talker. Like I, I, I call people, uh, but some people they don't like, so I'll move over into chat, but I can't get my, my thoughts across on chat. And so I may not be the right person. So then I become that bridge to the next steps who in your, you know, your circle, who in your family, your friends, can you connect with as a next step? Because um, some people, the way that they support each other is through hearts and happy emojis. That's all they got. And that's okay because we are who we are in that moment, you know, with the energy, the experience, the expertise that we have. And sometimes that's just not the right piece. Does that answer the, does that get there? What do you, what are your thoughts, Mark? I think so. I, it just, Back to, hey, if you have a problem, call me. It's a great sentiment, but mm-hmm. we have to be vigilant of what's going on and situationally aware of what's going on with others and just get them on the phone. I did a suicide intervention with a British veteran a while ago, okay. and um, for whatever reason, I was his only resource. So the only thing he had the capacity and ability to do is if he happened to see a Facebook Live pop on, that was it, and uh, he would he would watch my show as it was live, and that was that was it. That was his only resources. Is all he had. So when he decided to end his life, he called me because mm. I was the only connection that he had, and he called me to apologize to say sorry. You know, you did what you could, but thank you. Just want you to know it's not your fault. But today's my day. I'm I'm going to die today. I'm going to take my life. I'm done. So I got him on video chat and use my skills and as far as i know he's still alive that was a few months ago 
So don't know if he'll be alive tomorrow, but um, he's been, he's got a few extra months anyway. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I've done everything that I can to get him in a place where he'll accept more mental health supports. And I've brought them to his door, even though he's in England. So I got that done and that's good. But the point of this story is that just chatting wouldn't have done it. You know, just, just texting wouldn't have done it. The actual, the actual video call, so you can hear the, the tone of voice, you can see the facial expressions. Because again, that when you are in a flap, when you are feeling low and experiencing trauma, that is disconnection. So the better you can create connection, the better you're counterbalancing that disconnection, if that makes sense. And the levels of connection, well, texting back and forth, that's better than nothing. But the visual with um, throwing in the auditory, uh, the facial expressions, the ability to emote, to show, as you can see in my eyes, that I actually give a shit, that you're not alone. Um, The the better the connection that you can create, the better that um, interaction is going to go. Because I don't think I could have performed that just by text. We needed the video call, which, which we did. So th- that's where I was going with that. Well done. Yeah. You, I, I agree with you. Well done you. I mean that uh, you're, you're right. There's a lot more with the, when you can see people and when you can, you know, we're like supercomputers. We're picking up on all kinds of things. And so, yeah, an emoji may seem very disingenuous. You know, it's just not creating that connection. We, we really, we crave that connection. And, you know, interestingly, with the mental health first aid course, which started off as an in-person course, of course, you know, that's how we met, a two-day in-person course. Well, when the pandemic hit, you know, the, the, all, the whole thing was, well, we'll never be able to teach this again. Like, we'll never be able to do this virtually. It is not possible, was the prevailing thought. And then a couple, we started doing a couple of one-hour, three-hour courses, and we started to realize, oh, wait a minute, you can actually, you can actually connect with people by, you know, through through Zoom. And how did Zoom take over? I thought Skype or something else. This is Zoom. Where like the whole it, March twenty twenty. Very interesting. <laughs> but we found that uh, you can actually create some connection using, you know, using Zoom because you're, you're to your point. You're seeing each other. I took a couple of courses on, you know, how to create connection virtually, how to do that, like how to show up for people. And, you know, and it includes leaning in. It includes, you know, looking right at the camera. It includes, you know, making sure they know that you're. And so you're right. I think we, I, th- I think it's more effective. And to your example, sounds more effective, you know, to really try and do that reach out. I just know that not everybody can do that. Creating a sense of connection as best as we can. And the second part of it is grounding, which you helped me with when I was in an absolute flap. We got outside, we went for a walk, sat on a a bench and did grounding exercises, which really, really helped. So I think those are the two pillars. First is a sense of connection, and sense, of, and the second is a sense of grounding, which is connecting, which is still connection. It's connection to your environment. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know what? I, I forgot about that moment, Mark, until you just said it. I remember the bench. 
I remember where we were. And, um, you know, I, I think what really s- struck me too is, you know, cause a lot of that stuff was stuff I'm, I was trying to use in my own life and, you know, see whether or not it, it, it appeals or it works. It was your willingness. Like you were willing to engage in these activities. Not everybody is. And so that to me, I, you know, that's a, that's a kudos to you. But also it's something that I think we need to recognize as we support people because some people aren't in that mode of that willingness to heal. And one of the things I've come to encounter is, and it's, it's this locus of control piece, and especially in the veterans community, you know, when I hear and I spend time with people and they're, they're like, it's, it's always everything else. Their trauma, their pain is always as a result of everything else. The government's not supported. Like it's always, there's no internal kind of time to heal. Uh, the greatest barrier to healing is the victim mentality. There is no greater barrier uh, because it is so seductive to be yes. the victim because also, oh, I've got this status and I've got all this attention on me and, oh, how wonderful is this? I'm an injured veteran, so I'm... Uh, I have these special privileges now. It's like, no, dude, these are not special privileges. This is, if you're injured, here, this is access to healing modalities is what you have and, and resources. But if somebody is a full-time victim and has a problem for every solution, they're never going to heal. They're just never so going to heal because they got addicted to it. How do you, how do you help them then to get from victim to hero? Like they got to be a hero of their own story. What is that space in between? If there's a way to do it, I don't know what it is. Um, the only thing I have been able to do with those folks is walk away. You know, wish them mm-hmm. wish them well. Make sure that I've heard their story. I've I've held space for them once, twice, three times, and then I'm done. Uh, mm-hmm. Like if if you're not willing to, after you've been heard and validated excessively. If you're not yeah. ready to move forward from that point and actually, okay, what's the action steps? Like, what are we actually doing here? <laughs> what what are the positive habits that you're incorporating into your life? What are the, the, the healthy habits? Everything from being hydrated to going for walks, um, to, to any kind of physical activity that you can handle if you have physical restrictions. Okay, I understand these restrictions, but what can you do? But I can't do this. Okay, you can't do that. What can you do? What can you do? Let's do let let's let's do that. You know, can you clap your hands? Great. Let, let you know. Let then then let's start there. Can you move? Can you wiggle your fingers? Great. Let's start there. What can you do and build on it and and start creating those positive habits? But if they're not willing to do that, what do you do? Um, I don't think there's a damn thing you can do. Well, it, it is it is interesting because um, you know I, identifying it, and you know to your point, and then you you provide the moments, right? These the, the platform for falling. But yeah, I see you. I hear you. That's really hard. You know, plant some seeds of resources, but then I'm going to go back to the t- then take care of you. 
right? And then maybe re-engage every now and then and see where, see where they're at. Because sometimes they need that space to start instead of doing you, 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 you to do the, I think I, I think I learned that from Tony Robbins. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, Tony Robbins, <laughs> the huge dude. He is huge. Um, he is huge. So, so that's interesting because what could happen too, which is some of the stuff that I've been experiencing is, um, you know, working with someone who is deep in that victim mentality, you know, and you're, you're supporting, supporting, validating, validating, but they're not moving through it. They, they might be getting a hit of, of dopamine or something along those lines to just, you know, that really it, it's giving something to them. They, they, they could hurt you. You know, mm-hmm. they, they and will. And that's, that's a lot of the, the learning that I'm trying to figure out. And then they're going to blame you too. Um, right. Because and, that's what the professional victim does. And it's like, well, I went for you to help and you made it worse. Oh, so you're just snowballing this then. So who else is your victimizer today? You know, and the, the professional victim will accuse those that are helping, whether they're doing anything or not. Uh, they will attack any resource just to validate yeah. that that resource doesn't work. That resource doesn't work and that resource doesn't work. Therefore, I'm validated in being a victim because none of the resources work. None of them are good enough. They're all, they're, nothing is good. Everything is bad. There is no help. There is no hope. And it's not my fault. It's the resources fault. It's not my fault. Yeah. And, you know, they just don't work because they're, they're not right. They're, they're not good enough for me. It's, well, uh, it, it's so toxic. It's, it is, it, you know, it is toxic. It's, it's something to pay attention to for sure. And then again, as a mental health first aider, you know, we're not clinicians, we're not counseling, we're not diagnosing. We, we, it's identifying that. And you know, the other interesting thing that I've noticed in, in, and again, this is of such a unique time because the pandemic and the, the stuff going on in the Ukraine and, you know, the supply chains and, and I can go on with just, Anything that's nascent or underlying is starting to really bubble up. And so, you know, being able to recognize that that's what that is, recognize that even a well-intentioned mental health first aider can still say some really crap stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Recognizing that, you know, an apology is your superpower, but sometimes that apology, it just doesn't get absorbed so there's a it's it's very complicated so we started off this conversation where you know i'm really starting to realize that you know as much as we're trying and we're we're practicing and we're really trying to show up for others the only thing we have control over is ourselves you know and making sure that we really take care of ourselves our 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 good stuff our our weird stuff our well-intentioned stuff that goes well our well-intentioned stuff that goes shit our non-well-intentioned stuff, because we're vibrating or doing weird stuff, all of that. And, and accept yourself for all of that. But make sure that when you show up for someone, that, you know, that you're okay. <laughs> hurt People can hurt people, and a dysregulated human cannot help others regulate. No, that mm. is for sure. sure. Even if we if, really, really want it to happen. If somebody wants to hire you to, be the, um, to put on a course – for either their corporation or, uh, oh my God, did you hear me just fumble all over the place? Now? <laughs> I was going to, I was going to ask, um, has the Royal Canadian Legion ever hired you? Have you gone to any Legion branches to, to be doing these uh, mental health first aid courses? 
Yeah, actually, in Ottawa, um, I, I I got to go to the, the the National Command. Is that what they call it? I'm, I can't I can't recall. Uh, so I was able to do that once. But um, I have been in so many legions right across the country, and it's been interesting because what a unique perspective I got. You know about how some of the legions were thriving, and how some of them not so much. And <laughs> listening to your podcast on that was fascinating about walking into a legion and not being welcome. I think, Mark, you, you use some really interesting descriptions and in language. I was in Perry Sound last week and visiting my youngest, and um, there was a legion, and so I walked right in, right? And it's the same feel, the same smell, the same... And I'm not talking about the people, I'm just talking about the structure of the place, right? Yeah. And the the woman who was there um, was was delightful, and I just wanted to let her know that there are free mental health first aid courses that can be run out of the Legion. And she was like, "I had no idea." And so I was a little selfish on this one, Mark, because my youngest is working there in Perry Sound, and I want to, you know, travel and get paid for it. Well, there you go, absolutely. <laughs> me, me too. Me too. Um, so, uh, so yeah, many legions right across the country uh, because, and maybe this is the good marketing piece, anyone in the veterans community who would like to have a free course put together uh, of mental health first aid, you can. You can reach out to me, um, either go to my website, broadmind.ca, or me directly, Sherry, that's Sherry with the kind of like the spelling of the wine, uh, at broadmind.ca, and I will connect you with the person who will help you get a free course set up. And the in-person courses are starting now. That's a two-day course. Um, it's I think we take up to 25 people. Or you could do the virtual course, which is a one-day course with a two-hour self-study. Um, and then that helps people who are in rural areas. Like it's just such a wonderful thing that they're offering both right now. So reach out to me. I'll connect you with the commission and you'll get myself or um, I think we're about 15 instructors for the veterans community. And you'll get somebody that'll come uh, and support you and your organization for free. Well, that's pretty fantastic. I will have those links in the show notes. So uh, again, for the audience, some people only watch the Facebook Lives or the YouTube Lives or, or or on LinkedIn, so the video versions. But the audio version is available in all the podcast platforms, Spotify, Google, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it's on the the podcast version, the audio version, where I will have all the links to get a hold of Sherry. And Sherry Lachine, my dear friend, thank you so much for taking an hour to be with me today. Well, thank you for the invite. Mark, you're delightful, and I love what you're doing. Thank you. Well, I love what you're doing. We're all rowing in the same direction. and uh, (laughs) I'm wearing my pride shirt today. Doing doing our best to make a difference. (laughs) Thanks, Mark. Uh, I appreciate you. All right, my friend. Uh, Please stay in the line. You're listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. Hello, my friends. Thank you for sharing your time with me today. I hope you found value in today's episode. If you found this episode helpful, healing, or informative, 
Please let me know by leaving a rating on either Spotify or Apple. And please share, share like the sugar bear on all of your social media channels. Because sharing is caring.